Thanks for listening to the Three Strands Podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit us at threestrands.church. Scary. Anybody scared? The monsters are all friendly. You notice all of our monsters are like happy and friendly though? So we want you to be scared, but not too scared. I mean, we're like hellfire, but no brimstone is what we are here. So it's like we're half scared, but not like whole scared. So we don't want you to be too scared or you won't be able to pay attention. But we want you to be just a little scared because our new series today is about monsters. And so uh, welcome to the monster in me. And so um, if you've got a Bible, we're going to kind of be all over the place today. But if you want to be where we're going to be near the beginning, we'll be in Psalm chapter 139. The verses will all be on the screen. But if you want to follow along in your own copy of the Bible, you can or on your Bible app. That's fine, too. But um, there's a monster inside of you. I know that sounds like I'm accusing you or uh, saying you're something worse than everybody else, but we got a secret for you today. Here's the secret. You ready? There's also a monster inside of me. In fact, there's a monster inside of everybody. The problem is, that it's very hard to see the monster in me. But it's very easy to see the monster in you. So what do I do when I think there's a monster in everybody else, but I can't see the monster in me? Well, I ignore it. Because I don't even know it's there. And that's what this series is all about. Dealing with the monster that's not in everybody else, but the monster that's in me. And so don't fall into the trap which is easy to do. In fact, Stephanie and I were talking about this this morning. It's so easy to read these passages, to hear the truth we're going to teach through this week and the next three weeks, to hear it and instantly think of that one person who needs to hear this. And I know you've all got that person. But this series isn't for them. This series isn't about the monster in you. It's about the monster in me. And so if we can not fall into that trap, but instead... Instead of holding up the magnifying glass, if we could hold up the mirror for four weeks and look at ourselves, uncover the monster that's in us, deal with it God's way, and have a better life because of it. The monster, if you haven't figured it out from the bumper video, if you, haven't, uh, if you weren't here last week and heard the announcement, the monster that's inside of you, the monster that's inside of me, inside of all of us, is pride. And pride sounds like it's not that bad of a word. In fact, you've heard people use the word pride or proud in all kinds of good ways too, right? It's kind of a weird word because sometimes it means good things and sometimes it means bad things. So just this morning, I kind of jotted down like a few ways I've heard the word pride or proud used. Maybe you've heard some of these or maybe you've heard all kinds of others. There's literally dozens of ways this word could get used. But maybe you've heard people say, take pride in your work. Swallow your pride. I'm so proud of you. I hope you're proud of yourself. Or big wheel keep on turning. Proud Mary, keep on burning, right? You know what I'm talking about if you're over 30 in here, right? Right? So you hear the word pride or proud used all the time, all different kinds of ways. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. So how do I know the difference between good pride and bad pride? Let me give it to you. Ready? Here's how you know. Good pride is the elevation of someone else. Bad pride is the elevation of self. And you think, are you saying it's never okay to elevate myself. It's never okay to brag on me. It's never okay to pump me up. 
It's never okay to let everybody else know the great things I'm doing or have done. Absolutely. In God's word, there is no space for you to brag about yourself. There's no need to pump yourself up to make yourself look better to other people, to put on some kind of facade on Facebook. There's no need or space to have pride about you. That's hard truth because a lot of our life is spent pumping ourselves up, making ourselves look better, making ourselves look like something we might not be, pretending to be the greatest, thinking that everybody else should be in it for us, wondering why people aren't treating us better, wondering why I can't get more money, wondering why my boss doesn't treat me nicer, wondering why my kids won't respect me more, wondering why my wife won't serve me better, right? Most of our life is spent that way. I mean, I'm clearly the best one on the team. Why won't they pass me the ball? I mean, I'm clearly the smartest one in the room. Why don't they ask my opinion? I mean, I clearly work the hardest. Why don't they pay me more? Bad pride. So listen, to start off today, I want to just kind of give you a working definition for pride. We'll cover this for the next four weeks, and we're going to dig into some of the specifics the next three weeks after today. But let me give you a definition for, for, for pride. I got a short one here first, right? Here's a short definition for pride. It's the mindset of self rather than the mindset of servant. You got that? The mindset of self. In other words, everything's about me, myself, and I to the detriment or to the ignoring of the mindset you're supposed to have, which is the mindset of a servant where everything is about you, yours, and other people around me. And a lot of times, like, we're talking with married couples, and one of the things we talk with them about, I think Kenny talks about this same thing when he's meeting with people, but it's like, you go into this marriage, and you've been sold this lie that somehow marriage is supposed to be 50-50. Anybody ever heard that? Hey, you go into this relationship, it's supposed to be 50-50, give and take. That's a marriage on the path to divorce. Just want you to know that, right? The only marriages that last, the only marriages that make it the whole way to the end of life are the marriages that go into it with this attitude. It's 100% you and 0% for me. You give me anything, you serve me at all, you love me unconditionally, I'm thankful. But none of that matters. I'm going to give you 100% no matter what. Pride. The mindset of self rather than the mindset of servant. Let me give you a longer definition if you want some more detail what it sounds like or what it is. Here's a longer definition. It's a focus on self and the service of self, a pursuit of self-recognition and self-exaltation, a desire, this is the best line of the definition, a desire to control and use all things for the betterment of yourself. And it happens without you even knowing you're doing it. You're using the people around you. You're manipulating events and circumstances for one reason and one reason only. You ready? To get your own way. That's pride. And the Bible, over and over again, says that that pride always leads to destruction in your life. And we got people all over the room, all over the world, seeing their life destroyed over and over and over again, and not even knowing that it's because of the monster in me. They don't even know it's what's happening. But pride is destroying their life. 
So I'm kind of weird like this, but I spent a lot of time this week staring at the word pride. I know that's kind of a weird, it's like a weird, I'm not like a Tibetan monk or anything, but sometimes I just do weird stuff like that. So I spent a lot of time this week just kind of staring at that word, trying to think and pray and ask God like, hey God, just give me some wisdom on this word so I can communicate it better to everybody at church on Sunday, right? And I noticed something about the word. Maybe you've noticed this already or not, but that's actually spelled wrong, okay? Pride is really spelled like this. You ready? Because right at the middle of pride is a big old fat I. You got that? That's worth writing down, okay? That's worth writing down. That's free, but it's worth writing down. Right at the middle of pride is a big old fat I. And then I thought, huh, the goal in my life ought to be to figure out a way to get the big old fat I out of the middle of pride. That's what I'm left with, okay? Now this, this is where it's going to get like real weird for you. You ready? This is where it's going to get deep, okay? So I looked at that, and I'm such a nerd, so I'm sitting in my bedroom, and I'm trying to like sound that out, which of course makes me sound like a fool, right? But I realized something, like where I come from, that's not a word. But here in the South, that's still a word. Do you guys know what that word is? Purdy, yeah, right? I mean, up north, they don't say purdy, but in the south, it's like, oh, it sure is purdy, right? Okay, so what I realized was, if I can get the big old fat eye out of the middle of pride, I will transform my life from something ugly and destructive into something purdy. Yes, you're with me. All right, everybody's awake. I like that. It's good. Yeah, all right. So that's the goal, in the next four weeks, is to give you information, to provide you with some tools, to show you what God has to say so that you can take the big old fat eye out of the middle of your life and experience a better life. But we have to unmask the monster first. We have to discover what God's really talking about. There's this really cool story in John chapter 3. Now, a lot of people are familiar with John chapter 3, because they know John 3, 16, right? Kind of the most famous verse in the Bible. But if you go later on in the chapter, somewhere around like verse 20, 25, something like that, a story starts. And here's the story. It's Jesus and John the Baptist are both kind of famous at the same time now, all right? They're both kind of like at the height of their popularity and their ministry. And they both have all these disciples gathering around them to learn truth, to repent of their sins, and to get baptized. And they have these huge crowds around them. But some of John the Baptist's closest followers come to him and they say, this doesn't make any sense, John. Jesus, see that guy over there? The guy you identified as the Messiah. And that's exactly what they say, which makes the very next words out of their mouth crazy. But they say, John, the guy over there that you identified as the Messiah, the chosen one of God, the very son of God, he's got a bunch of followers too. And more people are following him than us now. And John says, good. That's exactly how it should be. Didn't I tell all of you that I'm nothing? I'm just announcing the fact that he's coming. And now that he's here, push them all that way. Let them all follow him. Let him get all the credit. And he ends the discussion in John chapter 3, verse 30, by saying, he has to get greater and greater. I have to get less and less. There is no room for pride 
And our church would be better if we cared more about people following Jesus than coming here on a Sunday morning. You hear that the right way. Like, I didn't say don't go invite anybody to church. Pastor said don't invite anybody to church. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, like, what are we in it for? Are we in it for the big I in the middle? Or are we in it for Jesus' greatness and glory? Because anything that we're in, because of the big I in the middle, the Bible says is going to lead to destruction. Don't brag about yourself. Don't make these grand plans as if you're going to do all these great things. Get all these followers. Have all these accolades. Get all this praise and attention from people. How many of our lives just revolve around that? The perfect post. Looking the right way. Getting the right person in my life. So that I will be the best. That's our whole existence. James said it this way, don't say, hey, tomorrow I'm going to travel to this other city and do all kinds of business and make all kinds of profit and money. Oh, I'm going to be great. No, that's all worthless. Instead, what you ought to say, what you ought to say is if God allows me to live one more day, I'm going to do something else. If he allows me to get to work today, then maybe I'll earn some money. If he allows my children to survive through the night, then I will parent them again tomorrow. Don't brag about what I'm going to do tomorrow. Be thankful that God even allows you to have a tomorrow. You see the difference between pride with the eye in the middle and purdy? Do you see the difference between a life headed to destruction and a life that's going to turn into something beautiful? You got to get eye out of the middle. And so where do we start? I found a great place to start. It's in Psalm chapter 139. You can follow along, like I said, with us. It'll be on the screen. In Psalm chapter 139, David is writing a song. And in the song, he writes down these two verses that are the exact place to start if you want to get the big old fat eye out of the middle of your life. Can I read them to you? Psalm chapter 139, starting in verse 23. He says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Do you hear what he's saying? It's so hard to see the monster inside of me that I'm asking God to point it out to me because I'll never be able to see it on my own. What a great way to start every day. God, I know something inside of me is screwy. I know there's going to be a big fat eye come up in the middle of the day. Would you point it out to me and then lead me in the opposite direction, the way that leads to eternal life? I don't want to be that kind of person, the person that's bragging about themselves, trying to make my own kingdom greater, trying to become more famous. No, I want to be your kind of person. So would you point out in me, check out my heart and see where it's messed up. Examine my mind. And see where I'm worried about things I shouldn't even be thinking about. And God, show them to me so that I can go the exact opposite direction. But here's the thing. You will never honestly pray those words. You will never honestly pray those words if you don't first believe that God loves you, that God is for you, and that God is with you. I don't know how many of you here right now believe those things, but you'll never pray the prayer you need 
until you believe those. And everything else in the world is trying to convince you that God doesn't love you. He probably didn't even make you. He probably came from like a bang. That if he did make you, he doesn't care about you. He's definitely not around when you need him. And he's definitely not on your side. Look how much garbage you're going through. Because the devil knows. All of his forces know. That if he could convince you that God doesn't love you. That God isn't with you. And that God isn't for you. Then why would you ever ask God to help you? And if you don't ask God to help you you'll never see the monster inside of you. So everything's fighting about trying to convince you God doesn't love you. God didn't even make you. Think about it. If God didn't make you, then maybe he does hate you. But why would God create you to hate you? It doesn't make sense. So the devil knows he has to convince you God didn't make you. He doesn't love you. You're not his child. You're not important to him. He doesn't have you're back because then you'll stop asking him for help. He'll just be a stranger. Something you heard about once. Some story somebody told you before. So I want to give you today 10 symptoms of pride. I'm going to ask you to do a little self-checkup. Can you guys do a self-checkup? Nobody's going to check your scorecard. But if you've got a piece of paper or a notes app on your phone, will you just make yourself a little score on these? I'm going to give you 10 symptoms of pride. And I want to ask you to grade yourself. All right, some of you is like, loosen up your elbows. You need the guy to come around and squirt the oil on your joints or something. Tin man, like, loosen up your elbows. Get your pen. Get your thumbs ready. Take some notes. Write down your scores on these. All right, I'm going to have you score yourself. Now, don't look at the person's score beside you. I know they're more proud than you, but they don't need you to tell them that. All right? Just jot down some scores for yourself. Zero, one, or two. You ready? Zero being, I, I never or almost never am guilty of this. All right? One being, I sometimes am guilty in this. And two being like, I'm often way more than I should be guilty of this. You got it? You got the scoring system? I know it's complex, right? You got it? Ten symptoms of pride. You grade yourself on each one. You ready? Here's the first one. The first symptom is fault finding. You have no trouble finding the faults in everybody else and letting them know about it. You never do that? Zero. I sometimes do that? One. I often do that too. You got it? You got it? Fault finding. Here's the second one. Fearfulness. Fearfulness. How often are you afraid? I'm afraid I'm going to lose this. I'm afraid I'm going to lose them. I'm afraid it's not going to work out the way I want it to. Fear. Fear shows that deep down inside, it's all about me. You get it? I'm afraid because it may not work out for big old I, right? So I'm afraid. That was an I. You, I know some of you haven't graduated yet, but that's I. Okay. But so fearfulness. Zero, I never do that. One, I sometimes do that. Two, I often do that. You got it? Here's the third one. A harsh spirit. A harsh spirit. In other words, I don't have very much compassion or patience for stupidity. You got that? It's three. All right, if there was a three. You don't have very much patience for stupid people. That's a good way to say that one. A harsh spirit. Zero, one, two. You got it? All right, here's the fourth one. Faking it. See, because if you're full of pride, if it's all about you, you got to be phony. In fact, some of you right here are faking it right now. Trying to act like you're all churchy. 
Everybody knows you're not all churchy, but you're trying to hide it because you got to keep up the facade because if it's all about you, then you got to be the best. You can't have anybody thinking you might not be the best. Faking it. A fake, a phony. Fifth thing, you're easily offended. Some of you guys right now in this room, you're like one comment away from like, I am not going back to that church. They looked at me the wrong way. They said the wrong thing. Nobody even shook my hand. Nobody talked to me today. Oh, they looked right past me. They didn't even look at me. I was trying to sing, and nobody even said, thank you for singing. <laughs> Get the eye out of the middle. Nobody's even watching you. Like, I'm over here. I'm trying to sing to Jesus. I'm not paying attention to you. So what if I don't pay attention to you while you're singing? Don't worry about it. Get the eye out of the middle, right? Easily offended. If you find yourself easily offended, here's a good way to know that. If you're on your 38th church, toughen up a little bit. You know what I mean? It's not all about you, all right? You're so easily offended. If you can't keep a friend for more than a week and a half because they said something to you, it's like, Toughen up a little bit, all right? Grade yourself on that one. Zero, one, two. Number six, you're hungry for attention. All right, if you have more than 12 photos of yourself on Facebook in the last 12 days, you're hungry for attention, right? Get yourself off the page. Put up some verses or something, right? Doesn't have to all be about the big old fat eye in the middle. Hungry for attention. I have a better word for that, but since Kenny's not preaching today, I can't cuss. It's cussing Kenny. So when Kenny's up here, it's okay to cuss, but I can't do that, so... That's an inside joke, it's, but I, I call Kenny cussing Kenny now. So, But uh, he, he played something in church a couple weeks ago, had like bleeped out in it, you know what I mean? So, cussing Kenny. Yeah, he doesn't like it when I say that. But All right, so hungry for attention. Number seven, ignoring others. Do you often ignore others, especially people who you consider to be less than you? Not as rich as you, not as good looking as you, not as athletic as you, not as smart as you, because when you're the greatest, you don't got time for all those losers. So you got to ignore people. You don't got space in your life for average people. I mean, when you're at the top of the mountain, you're not going to waste your time on ordinary Joes, right? So do you find yourself not having time for a lot of people because, hey, I've got time for people like you, right? Number eight, prayerlessness. I know that may or may not be a real word. I'm not 100% sure about that grammatically, but you know what I'm talking about. Prayerlessness. Now, what does prayer have to do with pride? Because if I'm the most important thing, if everything revolves around me, if I'm in it for me and I'm using and manipulating everyone and everything to get what I want, why would I waste my time praying to him? I mean, who's he? It's all about me. I mean, I'm the son. Everything's revolving around me, so I'm not going to spend any time wasting my time talking to him. Prayerlessness. Uh-oh. How's everybody doing on so far? You good? You all got 100%? How's everybody doing? Prayerlessness. Like, I haven't prayed for a week and a half. I haven't prayed for three years. Pride is the root of that. You with me? The big eye in the middle. Number nine, entitlement. When you secretly believe that everybody and everything owes you everything you want. That's pride. That's a symptom of pride. Wow. Somebody was sick, and they took them soup. Why didn't they bring me soup? I mean, I'm sick. <clears throat> I'm sick. Why didn't they bring me soup to eat too? Like, you deserve everybody else to serve you. Everybody exists to make your life better. Mom, can't you see I'm watching Netflix? Bring me something to eat. He's like, get up and get your own something to eat. Entitlement. Zero, one, or two. And number 10, blame shifting. 
Nothing's ever your fault. You're on your 17th marriage, and they all suck. And you never take the time to look in the mirror and be like, maybe I'm no good. Right? Blame shifting. Everything is somebody else's fault. You're always late because of somebody else. You're always in a bad mood because of somebody else. You got a bad lot in life, so you're supposed to be grumpy. And you walk around like Eeyore because everybody in the world has made your life worse. It's everybody else's fault. Blame shifting. How'd you do on that? How'd you do on that? That was a grade. You could grade that between zero and 20. Everybody got that? I don't know how you did on that, but I did that for myself. And this was a difficult exercise for me because I knew that when I came to church today, the proudest person I know would be in the room with me. And I thought it was going to be hard for me to teach this and for that person not to feel convicted. Because I knew they'd be here and that person's me. I don't know anybody prouder than me. And I went through that list and I was like, I, I wanted to delete some of those. I was like, I want to put in some stuff I'm better at. I actually thought that. How proud is that? How big fat I in the middle is that? I put that list down on paper and then I looked at it and I'm like, I'm pretty bad at it. Like some of those I really stink at. Maybe I should swap those out for something else, like courage. I'm like, I got all kinds of courage, yeah. And I was like, no, it doesn't. I have to like, be honest about it with myself. That I'm the proudest person I know. And what were you thinking while I was going through that test? Were you thinking about that person that really stinks at those things? Shifting the blame already? If they would just get better, my life would be better? Could there be a big fat eye in the middle of your life? C.S. Lewis said it this way. If anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell him the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud. You hear what he's saying? To see the monster in me. Because if I can't see the monster in me, I'm never going to deal with it. He goes on to say this. And nothing whatever can be done before it. If you think you are not conceited, it means you are very conceited indeed. Do you see the monster yet? Or are you still thinking about somebody else? Why does it matter? Here's why it matters. You ready? You ever feel like you keep getting knocked down over and over again in your life? You ever feel ashamed or disgraced? You ever feel like God is fighting you from day to day? You ever feel like your life is full of conflict and you can't seem to overcome it or make it go away? Let me read you a couple of verses from the Bible. You ready? Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18 says this. Pride goes before destruction and haughtiness, that's another word for pride, before a fall. Could it be if you feel like you keep falling down over and over again, like life keeps knocking you down? Could it be that pride is the reason and you just don't know it because you haven't seen it in me? Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2. Pride leads to disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. I feel so ashamed and disgraced all the time. Could it be that that's the reason? James chapter 4, verse 6. James writes, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Could it be you feel like God's fighting against you because there's a big fat eye in the middle of your life? Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10. Pride leads to conflict. People are always fighting with me. 
Why won't they disagree with me? Why are we always getting into these conflicts? I can't, it seems like every day I wake up thinking, let's have a good day, and then we're fighting again. I mean, you can't be more word for word than that, right? Pride leads to conflict, right? Oh, man, it feels like I keep getting knocked down every day. It feels like I'm so ashamed of the way I am. It feels like God is fighting against me. It feels like every day is a battle and a conflict. Pride, the Bible says, is at the heart of all those things. So I want to show you real quick the kind of destruction that pride leads to in your life. The Bible lists out a bunch of things that pride leads you to and says that all those things will destroy your life. Can I show you just a few of them? Here's what pride leads you to. Pride leads you to re rebellion instead of submission. You won't obey God because on a heart level, you've already decided that nothing matters more than what you want. So why would you do what he says? Who is he? I mean, I know what's best for me, right? And all that really matters is the outcome. Do I get more money? Do I get ahead? Do I get the girl I want? Do I get happiness? Do I feel good about myself? Everything is about the outcome in your life. And I want you to know that when, the, when your priority becomes the outcome, when the outcome becomes your priority, obedience becomes optional. That's how so many people are living. I can decide to obey if I feel like it. Because the outcome is all that matters and I want to be happy, and I want to be rich, and I want to be successful, and I don't want to hurt anymore, and I don't want to be lonely. And so if the outcome is all that matters, then it's easy to make obedience optional. Pride. Pride. Listen to Proverbs 17, verse 11. Evil people are eager for rebellion, but they will be severely punished. Could it be that your insistence on rebellion on disobedience that stems from your pride is exactly why life feels hard. Pride leads to rebellion instead of submission, but pride also leads to hypocrisy instead of authenticity because I have to keep up appearances. I have to make sure everybody knows I'm still doing great. I'm still wonderful. I still got this thing all together. I'm still pretty close to perfect. Oh, you wouldn't say you're perfect but you're definitely one of the good ones, right? And so everybody's got to know that. And so you're fake all the time. You have to make sure everybody knows how great you are. And sometimes you even do this through the other people in your life and it sounds real godly and real like good parenting, but you use your kids to sound proud. You don't even know it. Like, oh, see my son on that field? Oh, he is, he's crushing it out there. <laughs> Gets that from my side. What did I just do? It's like I'm using my son's athletic ability to brag about how great I am somehow. We're so delusional. Oh, my daughter, she's so smart. I mean, I, of course, was valedictorian in my class, so it makes sense that she'd be smart too. You're living proudly through your children and thinking it's okay because you're really talking about them, aren't you? Or are you really puffing yourself up? Matthew 23, 5, Jesus was talking about this group of religious hypocrites, this religious group of people that were real proud. And he said this in Matthew chapter 23, verse 5, everything they do is for show. I wonder how many of us, everything we do is for show. 
to make everybody else think something of us. Pride leads, or pride also leads to self-righteousness instead of loving kindness. Because you have to be right. You're pretty doggone good, and you know a lot, and so you'd rather hurt someone's feelings and be right than make room for someone else to have a weakness you don't have and encourage them. You're so stupid. Can't you be more like me? Why can't you be smarter? Why can't you just do the right thing? Why can't you just make some right choices? You are so dumb. If only you were more like me. I'm going to let you know how wrong you are because I care more about making sure you know how right I am and how smart I am than I do about actually encouraging you in an area you're weak. Oh, we could do a whole sermon on that one by itself in the verse I got with it, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, Paul's writing about the church and he says this, while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. <laughs> and I wonder how many churches wouldn't be better off if they cared a little bit more about loving people and a little bit less about proving how much they know and how right they are and how godly they are and how much better they are at following God's commandments than you new people are. Pride leads to boasting instead of meekness. Now, meekness is not weakness. Meekness is like self-control. It's like a quiet inner strength. It's like if I'm playing somebody's Maddox here. Oh, yeah, there he is. Yeah. It's like if I'm playing somebody who really stinks at basketball. Can you stand up for a second, Maddox? Let's see this. I need, I need somebody that's not very athletic. So, so if, I'm, if I'm playing somebody one-on-one -on -one in basketball and they stink, I know they stink. I don't have to brag about how great I am, how much I'm going to dominate him, because I know deep down I could reject him anytime I want. He got no hops. I could just, boom, swat, it's over, right? I'm playing basketball against a six-year-old. I don't act like I'm the greatest. Why? Because meekness demands that I have, you can sit down, that I have an inner strength that's quiet. I know enough to know I'm better than you. I don't have to brag about it. I know I'm going to win. I could spot you eight to ten, and I'll still win. I know it, right? I think I spotted him eight to a game of ten one time and still won. Just once. Of course, he was like six then, but that actually was the opposite of meek right there. But okay. So pride leads you to boasting instead of meekness. Proverbs 27, verse 2 says it this way. Let someone else praise you, not your own mouth. A stranger, not your own lips. And pride leads to isolation instead of community. For two reasons, really. And, and proud people tend to find themselves alone a lot. Here's why. There's two reasons. First reason is like, why would I waste my time with all you losers? Right? I don't got time for that. Community. We talk about community. Come to some kickoff party or some church. I'm not coming. I don't got time for that. I got stuff to do, games to watch, places to go, work to be done. I'm not going to waste my time in a life group. Why would I waste my time with all you people? And of course, the second reason is because at some point, nobody else can stand to be around you. Because all you do is talk about yourself, how great you are, how everybody else should be doing things for you. Nobody wants to hear that. So you find yourself alone. Listen, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be the person who is rebellious, full of hypocrisy in my life, so self-righteous, boasting about all my accomplishments, 
isolating from everybody else. I don't want to be that person. You know why? Because that person's ugly. That person's ugly. And if you ever meet somebody who's full of all that stuff, you know they're ugly. You wouldn't date them. You wouldn't want to be their friend. You wouldn't want to be their coworker. They're ugly. Why would I want to be that person where it's all about me? It's all about getting attention for me. It's all about what you can do to serve me. Why would I want to be like that person? I want a life that has no pride. What would that life look like? If only there was an example in the Bible of a life that was full of no pride. Of course, Jesus was on earth. You guys know that, right? So let's read what Paul says about Jesus, the perfect example of what this looks like in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5. Have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. You hear what he's saying? Have the same attitude, the same mindset that Jesus had. Even though he was God, he didn't believe that he would hold on to all those rights. He didn't think he needed to brag about it. He didn't think he needed to let everybody know how great and powerful and wise he was all the time. No, he set all of that aside. He gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave, a servant. You remember the mindset of self rather than the mindset of servant. He was born as a human being and then when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself again in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Can I see the real me? Can you see the real you? Does your life look like Jesus's? Obedient to God? Not bragging about yourself? Surrounded by community? Or does your life look proud with a big old fat eye in the middle? All about you. Who can you use? What can you abuse to get what you want? How can you work the day tomorrow to become better, richer, bigger, more famous? Is everything you say all about building you up or is it about bragging on God's greatness? Do you isolate from people or do you invite community into your life? And I can just hear it. If I were Jesus, if you were Jesus, crucify me? I don't think so. Do you know who I am? Tell your wife you're sorry? <laughs> Not likely. She should tell me she's sorry. Obey God's word? No thanks. I'll make my own decisions. Give up my time to join a serving team at church? <laughs> I don't think so. For those people? Come to the life group kickoff party and get surrounded by some community? Not really my scene. And no matter what anybody says, no matter what God shows you in his word, no matter what circumstances come into your life, you won't change. Because the deep down truth is life is all about you. Life is all about me. Pride. I asked Stephanie and Tammy if they'd come up here. I want to read you guys an excerpt from a book by Beth Moore. And they're going to help me read it to kind of make it make more sense, hopefully. But 
Imagine pride as this character in your life. And pride is like in you trying to get out every day, circling around inside, just looking for a way out. And pride is going to show up and have a conversation with you. This is what pride would say. If you could hear the pride inside of you, it would sound something like this. You ready? My name is Pride. I am a cheater. I cheat you out of your God-given destiny because I demand my own way. I cheat you out of contentment because I deserve better than this. I cheat you out of knowledge because I already know it all. I cheat you out of healing because I'm too full of me to forgive. Are these the things that you sound like if you're being honest and you grade yourself? I cheat you out of holiness because I refuse to admit when I'm wrong. I cheat you out of vision because I'd rather look in the mirror than out a window. I cheat you out of genuine friendship because nobody's going to know the real me. I cheat you out of real love because I won't wait for happiness. I cheat you out of greatness in heaven because I refuse to wash another's feet on earth. I cheat you out of God's glory because I seek my own glory instead. See, you like me because you think I'm always looking out for you. Untrue. I'm looking to make a fool of you. God has so much for you, I admit it. But don't worry about that. If you stick with me, you'll never know it. My name is Pride. I'm a cheater. And there's a monster in you. It's time to pull the mask off the monster and kill it before it kills you. I hope you'll come back the next three weeks as we dig deeper into this topic and figure out how to pry the pride out of our life. But a great place to start is Psalm 139, 23 and 24, that you would say to God, God, search my heart out. Check out my anxious mind. Point out in me any of the things that offend you and lead me in the opposite direction. This is what following Jesus is all about. Following Jesus means letting go of pride and embracing humility. How long is it going to be all about you? How many times do you have to get knocked down? How many conflicts do you have to be in? How many days is it going to be all about making you greater? When will it become about serving somebody else? I know people that have been in church for 50 years and have never had a serving role. Coming to church is all about what they can get for them. I know people that do whatever they want, whenever they want, and their attitude to God, the, word, the very words I've heard them say to God is, I'm a grown man, I'll do whatever I want. The path to destruction. It's time to drag the big old fat eye out of the middle of your life and kill it before it kills you. To give God everything you have and let him transform you into a brand new creation, a purdy creation.